Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I am George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to that UFO podcast. My name is Andy, and I am joined on this show by award-winning journalist, researcher, co-host of the Weaponized podcast, and author of several books, including his latest co-authored piece, Inside the U.S. Government UFO Program, Initial Revelations, Mr. George Knapp. George, welcome back to the podcast. Andy, great. Always to talk to you. Listen, I hope you're doing well, because after hearing you've been traveling and you have a UFO travel curse, um, I heard on the latest Weaponize you were a bit under the weather, fully recovered from that now? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling better today, but it uh, it really kicked my butt for like a week. I, I, You know, when I do get sick, which isn't very often, I bounce back pretty quickly, but this thing, whatever it was, really hung on. So I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. Awesome. And I can't help but ask, um, you were traveling for UFO-related stuff. Can you tell anyone what exactly you were doing or where you were? Can't do it yet. I can tell you where I was. I was in Mexico, a couple different places in Mexico, which, you know, it's a lot of interesting stuff going on down there. And it historically, it has a rich history of UFO activity and UFO cases. So it's uh, it's ripe for the picking for investigators like myself. And as we record this, George, in a couple of hours, there's going to be another, uh, what do I call it, piece released by some folks in Mexico about those uh, bodies. Is that something you've kept an eye on? Not really. I mean, I probably watch it about as much as you do, Andy. It's a long way from, from me, and I I, I, uh, I, have it in my gray basket. I, I don't know what to make of it. You know, Jaime Masson has been at this a long time. I know he's controversial for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but he's did a lot of good work uh, early on in UFOs uh, and bringing this to the fore and the, the uh, attention of the Mexican population. And he has millions of followers, so I do not discard him as many people are willing to do. I have the same kind of questions about the legitimacy of the mummies as as you and probably most of your listeners do, but I await to see what the evidence shows. I don't know. Yeah, I feel it under, hmm. but uh, I'll wait and see what happens tonight with this additional information and then make up my mind like everyone else from there. But listen, George, we've got you to talk about the book co-authored with James Lekatsky. James doesn't do many interviews, and uh, I think yourself and Jeremy showed potentially why. That was a bit of a firecracker overall, and we'll get to that. Um, Dr. Colm Kelleher also has been on the podcast with you before. He'll be joining me sometime in the next week or two to have a, a separate interview about the book with you. But I've got you, George, and that, that I'm very grateful for that. The book, like its predecessor, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, like I say, for those who don't know, is co-authored by Dr. James Lekatsky, who was the Defense Intelligence Agency Program Manager, Contracting Officer Representative, Security Coordinator, and Counterintelligence Coordinator for OSAP. That was the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Applications Program. 
some folks would say it was a predecessor to ATIP, but we won't get into that whole argument right now because that's a whole other whole other episode. Um, and also Dr. Com Kelleher, whose bio among many, many accomplishments academically, he worked for Bigelow Aerospace during its famed investigations on Skinwalker Ranch. So if you didn't know, that's who those gentlemen are. You know Mr. George Knapp who's on with me now. George, what was the thinking behind this this release as a follow-up to Skinwalkers at the Pentagon? Well, as you know, the, the first book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, written with Lekatsky and Kelleher, uh, focused on human effects. A lot of the most sensational information to come out was about direct effects, uh, psychological and physical, on people who got too close to UFOs and peripheral phenomena. And, you know, a lot of it was about Skinwalker Ranch, very sensational allegations, claims by witnesses. It stirred up a lot of controversy in UFO world among those who are not comfortable mixing UFOs, flying saucers, and woo. We'll just use the general term of woo. It does get weird. Um, but as I've, I've said in other conversations, I mean, this program is exactly what you'd hope it would be. It is a UFO-centric program. OSAP was trying to figure out how UFOs work, why they do what they do. Can we eventually duplicate that technology? But also to investigate peripheral phenomena. What happens to people who get too close to these things? And there is a rich history uh, of cases that uh, OSAP dug into. They created the world's largest known UFO database, more than 200,000 cases, although calling it a database might be uh, a little bit of an underwhelming uh, statement because it is more like a data warehouse. That was one of the main goals of the program. Jacques Vallée was in charge of putting that together. That database is real. It's been handed over to the government. I believe it's been in use by a variety of government agencies. I know the UAP task force relied on it when it was still up and running. So that that was a definitive accomplishment. In addition, OSAP, they wrote more than 100 of these gigantic, very specific technical type papers. Not one page of that information has been made public yet. We talk about it a little bit in Skinwalkers at the Pentagon and a little bit more in this new book, uh, Initial Revelations, up to the point that the DIA and the the DOPSER process would allow us to talk about. So there's some really good information in this. Unlike the first book, this is more about nuts and bolts, physics and engineering, how UFOs can do what they seem to be able to do, Uh, specific cases that document lift and, and propulsion and things of that sort, the kinds of data that UFO world is always saying it wants to see, here it is. So, George, I wonder, from the first book, Skinwalkers, to this, you, you've talked about the physical, the non-physical, the paranormal, the woo. How does this all start to tie in together? You know, how do you, as a journalist, talk about each? And are you finding it difficult to, to bring it together? Oh, it's extremely difficult. I mean, I, you know, it's more difficult, I think, for these PhD-level scientists like Colm Kelleher, Eric Davis, Hal Putoff, folks like that, who have to tackle this stuff. I mean, it's not comfortable for them to be chasing what sounds like poltergeist effects in the same vicinity where UFO activity is, is witnessed. Skinwalker Ranch was an immense challenge to them. They didn't know what they had on their hands. They There is no uh, blueprint for how to go about investigating paranormal UFO hotspots. They had everything under the sun all in one location and could not figure out to this day how it all fits together. I mean, UFO activity, orbs, structured craft, cattle mutilations and other animal mutilations, cryptid creatures, 
portals in the sky, um, crop circle type formations, poltergeist activity, everything under the sun all in one place, seemingly interacting in ways that they still have not figured out. They don't know why there is poltergeist type activity or whether these are actual poltergeists uh, or not that are, that have been seen and documented in the vicinity of UFOs. Why should that exist? There's some theories about it that have been uh, developed in the years since the NIDS was first on the ranch, but nobody's really figured it out. And it is highly uncomfortable. You can't publish a paper about UFOs and, oh, by the way, there's poltergeist uh, activity and cattle mutilations and people seeing um, uh, amorphous humanoids in their windows. You'd be laughed out of the the scientific community. Uh, So it's, it's really challenging on multiple levels. A, having the courage to go down this road in the first place, B, trying to make sense of it, and then C, trying to share it with the world and not be laughed at. Uh, You know, we don't know how it all fits together. We just know that it's happened. It's been documented right back to the beginning of the modern UFO era. The very first big UFO case in 1947, uh, the Kenneth Arnold case. People remember that Kenneth Arnold saw these nine chevron-shaped objects in the sky, and that's where the nickname Flying Saucer came from. What they don't realize is that for the rest of his life, he was tormented, he and his family, with these strange paranormal events in and around their home. It happened, it went on for years. It it completely gets dropped off of, of the Kenneth Arnold story because it's not convenient to tell that, but it's true. It happened. And it's true that it happened at Skinwalker Ranch. We had investigators that were part of this DIA program, intelligence operatives who went to the ranch, as we documented in the in the other book, and who had these experiences on the property and took it home. Now, you want to talk about weird uh, hitchhiker, this hitchhiker phenomena. No one wants to say that it's real. No scientist wants to put their name onto that. It's incredibly uncomfortable. It's hard to document, but it's real. And some of the people who had these experiences back in 2008 and 2009 are still having them today, they and their families. It's not a joke to them. It's, it's deadly serious because it's had terrible effects on their family life. How is the dynamic between yourself, James, and Colm working as a three? I always felt in previous interviews with, if it's been myself or James Iandole or uh, Vinny from Disclosure Team, whoever I've seen interview you, you and Colm had quite a, you seemed on the same page. I felt when I saw James in that dynamic, he's almost a little more reserved and more hesitant to talk about certain things, which in a way is very understandable. Does that come in a, in the form of butting heads when you're trying to put this work together? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Dr. Lekatsky is a great guy. I don't think he's necessarily gives great interviews. You know, he doesn't like to do them. He's not comfortable. That became obvious, I think, in the weaponized show that where Jeremy and I, it was not an unfriendly interview. We were there. We're friends. We know each other. But it kind of got testy at times because we're trying to test the limits of what Dr. Lekatsky was willing to say. He is not a guy who is way out in front on disclosure, and he's very upfront about that. Uh, he, he's not pushing to spill the secrets of the universe to everybody. He recognizes there are national security implications that are inherent in this, this UFO topic, especially regarding the technology. I mean, he set down this road. His, it was his idea to create OSAP. He wanted to figure out how UFOs work because he wanted us to have that technology eventually, us meaning the U.S. government. That was the goal. 
It was always a UFO program, and the other stuff, the woo, was peripheral, a peripheral concern. But he had the courage to tell DIA, and he had their support for it, that we need to follow the evidence wherever it leads. No matter how weird it gets, we can't just discard this stuff because it's inconvenient or embarrassing or uncomfortable. We have to follow the evidence where it led. And it was his leadership that really made OSAP what it was. It was a courageous and adventurous and worthwhile program, but it was his baby. He created it. He talked Harry Reid into getting the money for it. He worked with Bigelow and Colum in creating what the program was going to be and what it was going to go after. But he is a tough nut to crack, for sure. We have a pretty good, friendly, working relationship. You know, I met him, I'll tell you the day it was. It was St. Patrick's Day in 2018. I had an invitation to go to Washington, D.C. from Senator Reid, who I'd, you know, I'd had this 30-year-long private conversation about UFOs. We'd had many discussions over the years, and, and Senator Reid invited me to Washington. I had an idea who I was going to meet but I didn't know for sure. I had heard about Jim Lekatsky. I knew his name. I knew what he had done, but had never talked to him, never met him and uh, walked into that room. And there he is. And he proceeded to give me a download about OSAP that blew my mind. I mean, I thought I knew plenty about it. And I did. I knew more about OSAP than any other journalist in the world because I'd been friends with Bigelow and Colum, and I lived here. It was here in our backyard. So I would pick up little bits and pieces but I had no idea just how far it had gone, how big it really was until that day. And he shared it with me. And, and since that time, we've had a good working relationship. And, I, you know, he will share things, bits and pieces here and there. And it always amazes me how much more he knows than what he has said. So in this book, for example, there's, there's, a, big, there's a big reveal in there we yeah. can talk about that he shared. And it is very frustrating for people that he's not saying more about it, this craft that that he refers to. Uh, but th- th- the fact that he even went this far, if you know Jim Lekatsky, it's pretty amazing. But yeah, we have a pretty good, comfortable relationship work, work-wise, and we do bang heads here and there. And I think both Colm and I, me maybe more than Colm, have pushed Jim to sort of expand the bounds of what he's been willing to say. But he will only go so far, and he won't go further than what Dopser has allowed. He is a stickler for that. He doesn't want to violate national security. He doesn't want to go to prison. He doesn't want our enemies to know. I mean, he is of the opinion that if you tell this stuff to Congress, it's going to come spilling out. You might as well tell Red China uh, to some degree. So this book, as with Skinwalkers of the Pentagon, is very calculated. We thought long and hard about what we can say, how far we can go, how far Dopser and the Pentagon are willing to allow us to go. And so this is it. This is as far as we can go for now. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's talk about that. I've I've learned in my professional life, I've got a nine to five Monday, Friday job through the years that to take a step back and kind of survey a situation to look at the business side of things, but then look at the other side of things and try and see both points of view. I think a lot of the frustration, and I'm sure you know this, George, is when you get someone like a Lou Elizondo, a Chris Mellon, a George Knapp, a Jeremy Corbell, a Brandon Fugel, you know, the list goes on, a Bob Lazar. Um, when you get a James Lekatsky coming forward now, kind of out of the shadows, comes forward and throws this, not just a nugget, he throws a boulder out there, doesn't he, about, and it's on the blurb in the back. It's uh, the start of chapter nine, essentially, he gives the information the US government does indeed have a craft retrieved of non-human origin. And that's a hell of a thing to say. So I appreciate there's an element of he can only say so much. And from your point of view, this is a big thing to get him to say. Other folks, though, are, I think, rightly frustrated that he can say that, but he can't say anything else. Talk to me about that. That can I, I can give you this, but nothing else. Why that? Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I you know I've had these conversations with Jim and with Colum and with others in their circle about uh, craft, uh, recovered technology, reverse engineering programs, and things of that sort. So it didn't exactly come as a surprise to me that we included it in the book. Well, I, I would say, yeah, I am surprised that Jim even went that far because he's been unwilling to say those kind of things in public, and I think he was nervous about how the Pentagon was going to respond. He got away with as much as he can say. But, you know, I think it is in part encouraged by others who've come forward, David Grush and some folks like that who've now gone on the record talking about reverse engineering programs, crash retrieval. So there's a there's a body of information that's now in the public record. And I think Jim felt a little more comfortable in saying more about what he can. But he could not say who has the craft. He could not say where the craft is. That would have crossed the line. Uh, I think he tried to push that a little bit further, and the Dopser people shut it down. So he went as far as he can. Now, we in the UFO world, we want everything, and we want it right now. And we want it for free, and we want you to spill everything you've ever known about UFOs immediately right now on this program. And if you stop short of that, well, you're a sellout, you're a grifter, you're a government stooge. Take your pick, all of the above. Um, so I, I understand the frustration. We'd all like to know that stuff. We'd like to have it immediately. That's not the way the world works. It, it's not. You know, I was joking the other day. I did an interview with Colm um, where, you know, he's being encouraged to go ahead and spill the beans. Don't worry about going to prison. You know, maybe you'll lose your house because your legal bills will mount up and your wife will remarry somebody else while you're locked away. But you owe it to the UFO community. Go ahead and tell us everything you you uh, know whether you go to prison or not. Uh, the people who say that stuff are not people who've ever had a security clearance. I can tell you that. There are people out here in the UFO world who think that they want to know right now and they don't care what the impact is for the people who've come forward. Good gosh, we've been demanding that insiders come forward for a long time. Every single one of them who pops their head up and says everything gets beaten to a pulp, gets pulverized by the UFO public because they just don't say quite enough or quite in a way that we like them to say. Uh, I, I would not blame whistleblowers for going ahead and go back in the shadows and leave this crazy world by itself, because 
to a large extent, UFO world does not deserve the kind of courage that some of these people have already displayed, let alone those folks who are standing in the wings now hoping to come forward. And they've seen what happens to Dave Grush. They've seen the reaction to Jim Lekatsky, to Bob Lazar, to uh, Lou Elizondo. I I can see them saying, no, thanks. You know, I I don't want that for me. Do you think, and I'll ask, I'll caveat this by saying, in your opinion, people are missing the bigger picture by honing in on one person each time. So when Lou Elizondo came out, it was Lou is going to be the guy to tell us everything. When David Grush came out, David Grush is going to be the guy to tell us everything. You can go back to Bob Lazar, and that's a whole other story. And now Jim Lekatsky gives us something, and people think, why isn't he the guy to tell us everything? Rather than step back and go, here's a load of folks coming out and all saying the same stuff, and putting that together themselves, maybe not the complete jigsaw, but a partial picture. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I... I made no uh, secret of my disdain for uh, parts of the UFO world, especially social media that demand everything right now. And there have unrealistic expectations for these people, government employees, people who've taken a security oath are, are come forward. They're willing to share some, but they don't want to go to prison. They don't want to become media figures whose whole lives are open books. Uh, they, they take steps to go forward and share what they can, what they know, and they get beat up for it. And I, I would not blame them for saying the hell with it. I'm going back inside. You know, I've seen it so many times. I think back to Lazar when, look, look how far we have come. I mean, this is 34 years ago, me telling this story about this scientist and reverse engineering programs out in the Nevada desert. That was quite an outlier at the time. You know, there had been other Uh, allegations about reverse engineering and crash retrieval far back as Roswell. But there's a guy who comes forward. And at the time, it seemed completely outrageous. Doesn't seem quite as outrageous anymore because you've got people like Jim Lekatsky and and, uh, Colm Kelleher and uh, Dave Grush, who's speaking about uh, these programs on the record, saying that they're real. Um, My gosh, we've come so far since Lou Elizondo stepped forward in 2017 to talk about ATIP, now we know about OSAP. We know about the extent of that. We know about Jay Stratton and the UAP task force. We know about these secret studies and gigantic piles of documents that have yet to be made public. We have come so far in a short period of time. I know people who are new to this topic, oh boy, this is really slow. It's not slow. This is amazing progress in the past five and a half years. I never thought I would see this much movement. Uh, in this, in my lifetime, but it's happening. It's unfolding right now. In 10 years, when we look back on this, this might be the golden age for UFO disclosure. I hope that's, that's true. Yeah. I think if people remember back to the days of newsletters and VHS tapes, uh, it was years between news stories, years between news stories. And I'm not even, I'm only 37. So, you know, I'm aging myself there. Um, Sticking on the the James Lekatsky bombshell, so mentions they've got this non-human craft. You asked an excellent question on the Weaponized podcast where you got James to, I think you realized you and Jeremy were struggling for the angle and James was starting to get a bit, you know, defensive. And you asked about how do we know it's a craft? And James wouldn't go into that. He mentioned that was the conversation beyond. Is that something you know for a fact what the answer is? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a craft. Yeah. Yeah. I was just hoping that maybe he might give another drop, another detail or two that would explain why it's a craft and not a doorstop or something like that. But yeah, we, we, 
it, it, it is a craft that is similar to other craft that we have seen, and I suspect it is very similar to other craft that we have in our possession stashed in a hangar somewhere. Well, I want to ask, and maybe I've looked into this too much, so just answer to the best of your ability, George. Were they having difficulty opening the craft initially, and for how long? Because that was part of the wording for me. It was around we event. It was like we we managed to gain access to it as if there was a problem gaining access to it. Yeah, that that uh, that sentence is pregnant with hidden meaning, isn't it? It's um, yeah. There were it was years. It took years to get inside. No one was quite sure how to go about it, and um, I can't give you specifics on how it was eventually accomplished. Uh, but yeah, there was. A lot of debate and discussion about how to go about trying to get inside of it, and eventually they figured it out. But I, I can't, I don't have the specifics on how it was actually physically done. Not on this occasion, but I wonder: is that something in your decades of research you have heard of with previous craft? And can you expand on any of, the, any of those scenarios or situations that you've heard of? Well, I can tell you about Lazar's claims. You know that he had said that there was the craft, the sport model that he was inside looked like it was molded out of one piece, like it was made from a wax mold or something like that. There were no levers or buttons or any kind of control panel. There were seats that were sort of molded in that where little people could sit, but they couldn't figure out. There was no no specific uh, propulsion system that they could figure out. Eventually they did, I think, with Lazar's craft, but uh, Lukatsky and and Dave Crush and others have said something similar. Uh, about the the craft that supposedly are in the hands of these aerospace contractors, we can't figure out the propulsion. Some of them have no fuel. There's no food or anything like that for crew members. Um, it's it's not what we would consider to be a craft. It doesn't have any of the features that that we can figure out. So I think uh, you know that has given rise to the idea that maybe the pilots are part of the propulsion system. That maybe they're essential to how these craft operate, which would explain why humans haven't had much success in figuring out how we can fly them. Uh, you know, it opens up a whole kettle of fish that I'm probably not the person to, to ask about this, but I, I know where you're heading with this and I, I'd have to agree with you. Those are the kind of questions that I'd like answered as well. Um, Colm spoke with yourself and you mentioned a podcast just before where you use that analogy about everyone wants everything now and to hell with security clearances and go to jail. It was on James Iandoli's Engaging the Phenomenon podcast, wonderful channel. Um, I recommend folks check that out. I'm good friends with James and he's coming back on next month uh, onto the show. So please go and look at that interview with Colm and George. It's going to be very different to the conversation we have and, and have a Colm as well. Um, Colm mentioned that many witnesses saw a light at Skinwalker Ridge and that there was many witnesses saw the same object, but those with advanced night vision binoculars could make out different shapes. And this varied from person to person. One would say triangle, one would say square, one would say round orb sphere. Um, one hypothesis was that they were meant to see different shapes. And I wonder from that, or again, other scenarios you're aware of, people you speak to, is there anything to suggest that the reason people see different things from the same experience is less about the object, but more about the people themselves. Is that a conversation that's came up? Yeah, nobody knows the answer to that. But I think it it was a demonstration in the case of what the with the ranch with the five people who saw five different things. I think it was a clear demonstration on the part of them, whoever they are, that they can manipulate our perceptions. They wanted us to understand that they're doing that, and that was a very that's as, about as clear an example uh, of how they do it as you're ever going to see. 
But that goes back to the history of uh, the whole UFO topic is that two people can be standing side by side and look up in the sky and they see something different. Or one doesn't see anything at all. One sees a flying saucer and one can't see anything. Again, not to belabor Bob Lazar, but he had said, look, they they can bend light. They can control light and images and things of that sort. Uh, I, you know, as we learned from some of the leaks from the ATEP files, there's also the ability to, to uh, affect our perceptions. Uh, you know, are, are there really 500 different kinds of UFOs? Uh, you know, there are 500 different kinds of models. Are they from all over the universe or are we just perceiving them as looking differently? Same with aliens. I got a couple of books that show different kinds of aliens that have been reported over the centuries. Are we are we getting the variety pack? Is this the cosmic drive-in movie theater where they all come from different planets to see the crazy Earthlings? Or are we perceiving them to be different types? And, uh, you know, we've heard these reports from abductees who they're not seeing aliens. They're seeing owls or big-eyed deer or something like that. There is the ability to mask their true appearance, to affect our perceptions. That's a scary technology. Uh, we'd like to have that technology. I suspect that we're working on something similar that we've been inspired by them. But um, yeah, I think that that example you mentioned was a clear demonstration on their part, whoever they are, that they were able to do that. And, uh, and they documented it right there for us in real time. Yeah, something I'm going to dig into Colm about that with as well is just that idea of are the individuals affecting that themselves too, given whether it be blood type, you know, own belief system, things like that. And I, I thought if you've got a, a 100 kilogram weight and you put it in the middle of the street, 10 people trying to lift that are going to have different experiences based on lifestyle capabilities, you know, and their own expectations, technique. And is that something that comes into effect with these experiences? But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll save that one as well for, for yeah. home, George. Um, I've got loads of stuff to get through, and I want to just finish on the book at the end mentions what's to come next, and that includes a further look into Project Physics. Can you give listeners a little bit of detail on that kind of tease at the end? It mentions, uh, for example, how larger UFOs can materialize in and out of our perception. Well, I'm, I'm probably not the guy to answer those questions because I am the, the least knowledgeable physics guy that, that you can imagine. Uh, the strength, I think, of this book, Initial Revelations, is that we go back and we use older cases so that there could be no confusion with Chinese drones to demonstrate particular physics and engineering capabilities and concepts. So the question of lift, for example, pretty simple. We think we all have our heads around it, but how does that relate to UFOs? Well, in this in this case, we use an example of a, a craft that is witnessed. I think it was 1953. It's big. It's got mass. It's got weight. How do we know? Because witnesses saw it land in a field. When the investigators went over to take a look, there were clear indentations where something heavy sat down there and left an impression. But this thing, when it took off, it lifts up. There are no wings. There's no rotor. There's no exhaust, no, no noticeable propulsion at all. Somehow, this big, heavy craft that was heavy enough to leave an impression in the ground and to affect plants and trees and things like that, lifted up with no effort at all. That is the mystery that we have to try to figure out. How did they do it? Because we don't know how to do that stuff. So that the using old cases like that to demonstrate particular physics uh, and engineering concepts that the OSAP program was devoted to trying to figure out, that was that is the strength of this book. Uh, those examples are are littered throughout. There are hundreds of them, I think, taken from the OSAP files. And 
you know what, these are, some of these cases have been made public, but a lot of them have not before. That OSAP database is incredible. And I hope that the public gets to access it at some point, as government agencies uh, are able to do. More importantly, though, the 100 plus reports that were written, I'm telling you, I have seen some of them and they're, they're really good work. There was one of them that I wanted to hand over to Congress back in July at that hearing, and it focused on Tic Tac. It was a really great analysis of the capabilities of that Tic Tac craft, analyzing speed and, and what kind of thrust and, and lift capabilities it might have. The public has never seen one page of that. Uh, I wanted to give it to Congress. I got my hand slapped for even suggesting that. Uh, but I hope that someday that report and the other 99 reports that if you stacked them all together and printed them out, they'd be taller than me. Not one page of that material has been made public, Andy. Not one page of it. You know, I, I, I gave a statement to Congress to let them know, hey, this exists. You guys should go after it. I know that hundreds of people have filed FOIA requests with DIA asking for it. And the response so far is, we don't have it. It doesn't exist. None of that stuff exists. It does exist. I've seen it. I've read it. I know that they submitted it. I, I'm not sure the DIA has been able to find it yet. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you think the new director of Arrow, whoever that may be in the coming months, might be interested? I have zero faith in Arrow or a new director in Arrow. I hope to be proven wrong. This guy who's in there now has pretty much cut the, has kneecapped the, the uh, push for transparency and honesty. Uh, I have no faith whatsoever in the investigation that is underway right now. Uh, they've made it pretty clear that they are not sharing information about anything remotely anomalous, that their job is to try to explain this stuff away, a new version of Project Blue Book. Uh, they have not been uh, open with the public. The fact that this Kirkpatrick guy goes off on a late night rant on David Grush, attacking him personally, Using his personal Instagram account to go after Grush personally is a, an affront. It is outrageous. If any other government head had done something like that, they would have been called on the carpet and fired. Um, you know, it made it clear that they're uh, pretty upset uh, with Grush. It was a warning shot, I think, to other whistleblowers who are standing in the wings, maybe thinking about coming forward. And the fact that uh, Kirkpatrick denies ever having any information from Grush or being in the same room with Grush for many years, it's outrageous. It, it has completely destroyed whatever trust I had in Arrow and that process. And there wasn't much trust to begin with. 
and you go into more detail on that on the latest weaponized podcast people should check that one out especially some of the reasons why those were lies for example david grush and sean kirkpatrick being in the same room together just a couple of years ago and on a panel together but apparently they hadn't spoken for five years and all that's in the the latest weaponized as well folks so please check that out yeah, well, I, I think that it is an absolute lie that they have reached out to David Grush four or five times and invited him to come in and talk to him. That is outrageous. And it should be a demonstrable, provable lie, because if, if it's an email, there should be an email record on both ends. Grush did not get any invitations from them. His lawyer did not get any invitations from them. And there were no phone calls that were made. It is a lie, flat and simple. And it was an attempt to discredit Grush and to, to kick mud on him and his reputation, uh, which has already happened quite a bit. And more importantly, it's a warning shot to future whistleblowers. You better watch your step because this is what awaits you if you come forward. There's some poor listener right now in England or Scotland called David Grush who keeps getting emails from the DOD wondering why he's being invited to to testify and just deletes them as spam. Probably. You never know. Um, But do you know what you mentioned, George? The muzzle coming off Grush in a big way. I think it's Jeremy says that in the latest Weaponized. What can you tell us about David Grush coming back into the mainstream? Well, he's been talking about that for a long time. You know, we've had a conversation with him since June of 2022. And so we, we do have informal communications, nothing uh, out of the line, nothing over the line or classified or anything of that sort. But he does share some information with Jeremy and I about what his plans are. I'm going to leave that to him. But he's he's hinted to us multiple times in recent months that he is going to be coming forward with more information. Uh, I think when he gets his legal ducks in a row and feels confident that he won't go to prison as a result, he's going to spill some more beans. I look forward to it. Excellent. George, let's fly through some listener questions in the time I've got left because um, I got a lot of those for you. Uh, so the first one up is from Newman and Newman says, Dino Beavers, Dogmen, Poltergeist, Men in Black and many more encounters going back to the classic era seem to indicate the phenomenon doesn't seem to fall short of surrounding itself with an aura of absurdity in order to make any retellings of encounters seem illegitimate and subject to ridicule. How would George suggest researchers and investigators effectively report on encounters with the phenomenon without opening up that door for ridicule? Well, there's probably no getting around it, but the the best you can do is take all the information in. Don't discard it. Don't do self-editing right off the bat. If you're talking to a witness and things get too weird, you can't just kick out that information because you want to focus only on the structured craft or the UFO or whatever. You have to tell the whole story. Because the fact is that stuff, it's not, it doesn't pop up in every UFO instance, but it's in enough of them that you can say that it goes way, way back. The two walk hand in hand, whether we like it or not. An investigator has to be willing to, to pay attention to their witnesses, to listen to the full story, to gather that information, put it all in the file, and then analyze it later. Don't make the mistake of discarding something because you consider it to be uh, silly or unbelievable. I'm thinking about the Kelly Hopkinsville case. Remember that mm. one? It's uh, yep. from here in the States. It seemed to have been created specifically to be so absur- absurd that no one would accept it as fact on its face. It, it was like a, they're shooting these aliens who are popping up like in a, like in a, in a carnival uh, gallery or something like that. It was preposterous. A, a lot of the things that happened at Skinwalker Ranch are ridiculous on their face. There's no one to possibly believe them in a hundred years, but they happen. Uh, So you have to follow the evidence where it leads. You have to have the courage to listen to the witnesses, take it all in, 
sort it out later. Uh, Rob asks, uh, does George think that, that there is something afoot, that it's not the grassroots pressure that's having an effect, as it hasn't for many years, but there's something occurring, occurring within the Pentagon and DOD that is having the effect of a slow release of information regarding UAP, ultimately leading to some sort of confirmation? I don't think there's a, there's a grand master plan that somebody decided to flip a switch, hey, we're going to start leaking this stuff out over the years. I think that what's happening now is the result of like death by a thousand cuts. There's a whole bunch of things that happen independently that are mutually supportive. Lou Elizondo, Tom DeLong, Chris Mellon, those guys coming forward to talk to the New York Times, that opened the door to a, a lot of others to come forward. It meant that other mainstream media in this country, maybe not so much in, in the UK, but in this country, mainstream media took that as a sign. If the New York Times can cover this, then we can too. So they started doing reports. That gave some political cover to members of Congress who very sheepishly at first started hearing witnesses behind closed doors, military witnesses, to the point where they realized, hey, there's something to this. These are credible people. And they started asking questions. And then members went on the record and talked about it. And suddenly we've got a UAP task force that's created, Congress requesting a, a report, an annual report. That leads to AIMSOG. That leads to Arrow. That leads to NASA study, and then that causes people like Avi Loeb and other academics to decide that this is a legitimate uh, topic for inquiry. That, that snowball effect, death by a thousand cuts, that's not part of a master plan. It's a whole bunch of independent things that are mutually supportive that have happened uh, in response to each other. I'm glad to see it. I hope it continues, but I would warn people that the capers of the secrets do not want this to come out. And you can see right now in D.C., there is pushback. There's pushback on Capitol Hill for members of Congress, members members within their own party have opposition from powerful chairmen who do not want to see a select committee created. The Schumer Amendment in the Senate, I'll believe that when I see it. I hope it passes. I hope it passes. They create this other uh, structure for uh uh, releasing, declassifying UFO secrets, releasing it to the public. But again, I'll believe it when I see it. The Pentagon, the Pentagon contractors, the aerospace industry that is involved in this cover-up have immense power. They put out a lot of money on Capitol Hill, and they will stop this in its tracks if they can. And that that's underway right now. They're trying to do it right now. Very recently, George, I spoke to Diana Pasulka about how our new book encounters, and we're recording it on its day of release, but it'll be out in a this episode will be out in a week or so after. And and I asked her about the idea that Tom DeLong, amongst many others, have mentioned that the Greek gods or Roman gods somehow have something to do with a lot of this. And she mentioned she had heard that as well, including seeing strange rituals being performed at space mission launches. And is that something you've heard much about and can talk on? Uh, I have heard it, uh, you know, you know, I've been pretty far up the food chain, Andy, with the uh, people who have studied this at the highest levels and secure programs. I don't know anyone who knows the answer for sure. There are theories. You know, I'm thinking back to Skinwalker Ranch, you know, uh, the some of those folks at the Pentagon who wanted OSAP killed were opposed to the investigation at the ranch because they thought whatever is there is demonic, that maybe UFOs in general are demonic. And I kind of laughed at that. How ridiculous does that sound? Well, the fact is, we don't know who the UFO knots are. Uh, they manipulate our perceptions. They manipulate space and time. 
They could be extraterrestrial, interdimensional, time travelers, all the above. They could be elementals. They could be something approaching gods. I mean, what is the difference really between demons and aliens? We don't really know. Um, So, you know, I think whatever these things are, I think they live here. And I think they've been here forever. Uh, they might live somewhere else as well, but I think they are they are have been here at least as long as we have, and um, that we just don't know how to uh, interpret what they are. Then maybe they are gods. I mean, compared to us, a civilization that say it, that developed that's a million years older than us on some planet way out there. Imagine where we will be in a million years if we don't blow ourselves up. Um, they might have developed some kind of technology. They don't even need physical bodies anymore. Uh, and they can travel the universe in ways that we cannot even understand. To us, they would be gods, you know? So I don't close the door on any of that. A question from Christian Morales, bringing things back to Skinwalker Ranch. Have you any idea who or what is flying Blackhawks or Chinook helicopters over the ranch? The helicopters seem as mysterious as UFOs themselves, and do you suspect it's a national security agency? Yeah, I suspect that there is uh, there are agencies, more than one, that are now interested in what goes on at the ranch. That was true when uh, uh, Ter- Gorman, the Gorman family, was there before Bigelow. He would have incursions by military folks. He suspected for a long time that it was the military that was trying to drive him off the property, drive him crazy, staging these goofy events uh, to scare he and his family and get him off the ranch. That was his suspicion. The NIDS guys who were on the property would occasionally see military type folks checking them out, doing surveillance. I know Brandon Fugel has, has, continues to see that. So I'm, I'm sure that there is some official military interest by our military and by others. I know that during one period, um, during the OSAP period, there were foreign governments that were present in the Uinta Basin. And at least one of them reached out to our government and was interested in a joint study of the ranch and the basin. And the answer was no. So there was also a espionage program that was developed that was targeted at Bass uh, for a while. I, I can't get into many details there, but they found physical evidence that there was a surveillance operation aimed at them by a foreign government. So, yeah, it, it could be multiple answers to who else might be checking out the study of the ranch. Very quick follow up on that. And this is something that I struggle with, with the the paper trail of Skinwalker Ranch. Why wouldn't the US government or one of those three letter agencies buy the ranch when it was available and just not even have to lock it down? You could stick whatever you wanted on there, fence it off and it would just go away. Why allow a Brandon Fugel or a Bob Bigelow to even buy it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, the fact is that by the time that OSAP had ended and Bigelow was done, there was no agency that was that considered that study of that ranch to be legit. You know, DIA had taken the leap of saying, hey, this is an interesting place. We need to study it. But everyone else officially said no. And when DIA closed the door and said, this is ridiculous, this is a waste of money, we're not spending any more on it, there was no one else left in D.C. that was willing to take that, that launch and, and jump into it. Um, the OSAP folks, the Bass people, shopped this around. They went to different agencies after DIA was done with it. Uh, Department of Homeland Security is the place where they went, and they thought that was going to be the new home for it. But DHS eventually said, no, this is too crazy for us. So, you know, I think the the well was poisoned by that point, that it was so preposterous, so outrageous, this combination of weird woo and UFOs that no one wanted to touch it. 
Fair enough. Uh, question from Peter Earnshaw. When do you think the first back-engineered programme will be admitted to and revealed? I'm not sure it'll ever happen. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to have to come from leaks. I, I think we're going to have to have somebody like a Dave Grush that steps forward with solid evidence of the locations, of the places where this stuff is, and somebody else who has had hands-on experience working on the technology and can prove it. I don't think they're ever going to admit it. I don't think our Pentagon's going to admit it. I don't think these aerospace companies will admit it. And I don't think they'll ever give that stuff up. I don't think they're going to turn that over to just think what that technology might be worth if we could figure out how it works. An energy source that would revolutionize the world economy, it would be worth trillions. If you had it, if you were Lockheed and you had it, would you give it up? Not without a hell of a fight, you wouldn't. So I, I am not optimistic that they're going to give it up and that anybody is going to announce that we really do have this stuff. It's going to have to be, their hand has to be forced before that will ha- that day ever comes. I'm dreading this next question because in a Scottish accent, this is the hardest thing to say. Um, from Adrian, he asks, has George asked Colonel, oh my God, Colonel Carl Nell, do you know what I've just said, George? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to elaborate on his statement in support of Grush's claims, and are you aware aware of any other high-ranking DOD or intelligence community officers that might be prepared to speak publicly? I am aware of some other people who's got t- who have testimony that they are prepared to make that are in support of David Grush's statement. The people that David Grush interviewed, who had hands-on experience with this have indicated that they might be willing. I don't know if they still are willing now. I have never talked to Carl Nell. I've had no communication with him or with Jonathan Gray. Uh, I do know some of the names of the other people who have testified already. I have spoken to them. They do support Dave Grush's statement, and they are uh, they have taken steps to come forward. When that information is going to come out, I do not know. But yeah, the answer is yes, there are others. And... Uh... From Walker, last couple of questions. Would uh, He would love to know your thoughts on Tom DeLong's consciousness suppressing pyramid in Alaska. Is that th- something you've looked into at all? I have not. No, that's over my head. Is that too I, woo for you? Is that like... It's not. No, I, I just, uh, I got to pick my battles. You know, there's so much, you, there's only so much you can, my bandwidth, my pointy little head can only handle so much. I, I'm always interested in listening to Tom. He has interesting sources i know some of them who they are and uh, uh he's an interesting guy and he he's a he's a big thinker he thinks big absolutely does uh, dalamar asks you were on the front lines of reporting when the phoenix lights event occurred is there anything more about that event you think could be shared publicly or is that one uh, a, a dead end now as a case yeah i think we know pretty much everything there is to know about that one but the fact that it happened it was seen by millions of people it makes it a landmark case. I mean, that started here in Nevada, in my home state. It was seen here first before it was seen there. Uh, it's a pretty dramatic case that, of course, like everything else, the Pentagon gets involved and tries to muddy the waters and does a pretty good job. Oh, yeah, it's flares. It's us training. It's, you know, they'll come up with a million different uh, s- suggestions and see what sticks to the wall. I think it stands as a pretty good case. It's still pretty valid. And um, I wish we'd have another one like that. I always think there must be data from back then, you know, radar, satellites. I've never, was, seen. 
it was the mid nineties, and I know there was no camera phones, but the, the tech must have been decent from a military point of view at that point. Um, Xander asks, has George seen an increase in people trying to contact him with information in recent years? If so, was that before or after David Grush came out as a whistleblower? And have you seen a change in the ratio of misinformation to genuine information that comes your way? I have seen an uptick for sure. I mean, I've always, you know, I've been at this for a long time and there weren't a lot of journalists who are covering on a regular basis, uh, certainly not over this long of a period of time. So I've always had a stream, a steady stream of inquiries and tidbits from the public. There has been an uptick uh, in particular of people who uh, claim experiences that happen while they're serving in the military. And boy, a pretty good, healthy chunk of those are just pretty goofy. Um, I'll just say that is the, you know, people who claim that they're in the secret space program, they know that they went into this and their neuralizers uh, were wiped out their memories, but they were on Mars. I, you know, those, those are rabbit holes that I am, I have been able to resist going down. Once you do it, you, you realize that it's a dead end. I get a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, but I can only focus on so much. I get 10 people a day that send me videos, images, um, and I don't know what to do with them. I really don't. Um, mostly it's, a, you know, a, a ball of light and a sea of inky darkness. People have, uh, you know, they can tell me details about the incident uh, that is not reflected in the video or the photos. I have to handle that gingerly because if you tell somebody, hey, I'm not impressed by your UFO video, you're not going to sell it for a million bucks. They get pretty ticked off at you. So I gently have to say, and this is the truth. I have no expertise in image analysis. I, I direct them to somebody who might be able to give them a better answer, and I let them down gently rather than me telling them their UFO is not a UFO or it's a bug or something like that. Yeah, and George, yeah, I, got, I got a lot of stuff from the public, a lot. And you and you've got ties with the mob now, as we know. So you know you don't want to annoy you too much. And final listener question, George. Final question: uh, Your thoughts from Kyle on any follow up on the DOE Department of Energy's involvement in this cover up? Well, I think that's a, a rich, fertile uh, soil to plow. Uh, the DOE, I think, has probably been involved from the very beginning. You know, I, I remember filing because Nevada is the most nuked place in the world. We The DOE, the Nevada test site, had more atomic bombs blow up here than anywhere. So when I first started, I remember making inquiries with Department of Energy personnel and looking at AEC records and things of that sort and filed FOIAs back then. And of course, the official, the official comments from DOE is we've never had any UFOs over the Nevada test site. Well, I know that that is absolutely false. You know, Robert Hastings, for example, has done really good work in digging up people who worked out there and who saw these things during atomic tests. I have developed my own sources of people who are involved in the atomic testing program who saw them and who t testified to that effect, at least off the record in, in statements to me. I did eventually get some records from DOE to indicate that they did have a healthy ongoing interest in UFOs. But if there is a giant database within DOE, no one's found it yet. I think that is a fertile area for investigators to pursue. I hope Congress will take a look at the, a whack at it too. Awesome. We Listen, George, you've been wonderful with your time. Thank you very much. I'll just let folks know that inside the US government's UFO program, Initial Revelations is available now, has been for a month. If you haven't purchased it already, go and grab yourself a copy, wonderfully put together, and especially if you've got your copy of Skinwalkers at the Pentagon already. George, um, are you working on anything right now you want to let the listeners or viewers know about before you head off? Uh, Jeremy and I have some pretty cool images coming pretty soon. 
keep an eye on weaponized. It's going to cause a stir. I think uh, we got some good stuff coming. And then uh, I've got a big secret project that I'm working on. That's going to be, it might take a year to get it all out, but it's going to be pretty good once it un- is uncorked. So I'll, I'll let you know, Andy, I'll, I'll come back and talk to you about it. Awesome. And on those images, due diligence has been done. I'm sure on these. There's always more to be done. Always, always more. more. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, George, very much for your time. All right. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium. YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit.